It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. You know, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is pretty telling. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then he proceeded to say that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. I think if, if any other person on earth would have ever been asked what is the greatest commandment, we would have given a list of do's. Don't do this. Don't do that. Make sure you do this, though. Right? But Jesus said the greatest commandment is to know God. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. To know the true God. Know who you're talking about. Know the true God. It's not just talking about go love a tree and call it God. He said know the one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And to love God. So it's not good enough just to know God, but God's desire is that we love God. You know, there's a big difference between knowing somebody and loving somebody. And the desire that God has is that His children would love Him. Amen? And not treat Him like a genie in a bottle. When, if you know the stories about genies in the bottle, when a person is in distress, in ruin, in want, they live in their life however they want to do, and then whenever they're in distress, they break out the bottle and rub it and use it for magic. God's not like that. Amen. That is a caricature in this society's minds of what God is. But God's people love Him. And so, whenever the Lord Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, it means that there's no room for anything else. Love the Lord your God with most of your heart. That would have left room for something. Love the Lord your God with part of your heart. That would have left room for a lot. Love the Lord your God when it's Sunday. That would have left a lot of room. Love the Lord your God when you feel like it. When things are going good. But no. The Scripture says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. But I want you to know something. God will never ask you to do something that He won't do. Amen. And I want you to know tonight that God loves you with all that He has. He has given you and me everything because He loves you. And so when God asks us in return to love God 
with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. It's nothing that He's not already done for us. And in response, in response, the second command was like it. Love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Amen. Well, Jesus said on those two commandments hang all the law. You know how many laws there are? You guys that listen, y'all know. 613. You talk to one teacher, 613. Another, 617. Which I will reemphasize if the Pharisees argue about how many laws there actually are, what well, makes you think that anybody could obey all of them? If they can't even, they can't even agree on how many there actually are. It just lets you know that nobody's able to keep them all. But Jesus did. But all of the laws hung on those two big things, to love God and to love your neighbor. And so whenever God tells us here um, what, what we're going to be getting into tonight, understand that it is, it is birthed out of knowing God and loving God first. Receiving God's love first. And um, if, if, if you've... If you know what it's like to love God, then you know what it's like to receive God's love. Because you're not going to love until you first receive and know God loves you. Then God will change your heart. Then you will begin to love God because you know how much He loves you. So we're going to get into this tonight. I want to unpack a few things. First um, John chapter 4. Did I say verse 7? Yes. Okay, let's read verse 7 then. Beloved... Let us love one another who treats us good. No. Let us love one another who we like. No. Let's try this again. Third time. Let us love one another who does favors for us. That we like to go out to eat with. No. That's not how it goes. In actuality, there is no clause. Amen. It just says love, right? Beloved, let us love one another. So as believers, this is talking about believers, as believers, we have been called to dwell in unity by love. Loving one another, setting our hearts upon one another. No longer seeking for our own causes, our own rights, but laying those aside and aiming to help and bless others. This is what God has called us to do. Love one another. Think about their plight. Think about their ways. Think about their environment. Think about things that they are going through. I know that this is revolutionary to the way that uh, it is in 2018, but we should think about others before we think about ourselves. Amen. It's called putting others first, and it's kind of uh, um, not done very much. But the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So if somebody knows God, you can see that they have received God's love. Amen? 
If somebody has received God's love, they will in turn begin to love others. But the key part is knowing God first. You see, God's not going to ask you to do something that you can't do. And the only way that you can... Listen, some folks are unlovable, but you're called to love them anyways. Some people are just rotten eggs. Some people are, are, you know, it don't matter how hard you try, some people just will always come at you with a frown. Some people are just that way. They're hard to love. But God tells you to love them anyways. Amen. Why? Because God loved you anyways. Because you were hard too. We all have our own hang-ups. We all have our own issues. But God loved you in spite of you. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is God's love displayed for us. That Jesus came, manifested Himself, that we would have a way to live. And that life that we have is through Jesus. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. You see the key part? of understanding God's love. It is not... Understanding God's love is not about your service to God. Any Understanding anything that has to do with love is built, built on this one fact. Knowing that God loves you. That's it. That's what it says. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And when you know that God has loved you, it will actually change you. It will change you. I want to talk about God's love tonight. What it is, what it is not. God's love does not overlook sin. God's love deals with sin. God's love does not look the other way at sin. God's love changes us in our sin. Amen? Amen. So follow with me tonight. Uh, on down just a little bit more, on down just a little bit more to verse number 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. The word perfect in the Bible means complete. This is how love is brought to its ultimate completion. You will have boldness in the day of judgment if, if, as He is, so are you in the world. How is God? That's how you should be. This is, why, this is one of the main reasons why you need to know the Bible. This is one of the main reasons why you need to study the Word of God. So that you can begin to imitate Christ. So that you can begin to walk like Christ. And I don't mean with the robe and sandals. I mean with compassion. With the desire to be holy. With a zeal for the house of God. With a heart that others be saved, rescued, redeemed, bought back. So... 
Our love is made complete. Our love is made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. See, God does this amazing thing that as we begin to flesh this out, we will begin to become bold in who we are when we know that God loves us. A person who is bold knows that God loves them. A person who is timid is unsure of God's love. They may know the fact of it, but they don't know the reality of it. But if you desire to have boldness in the day of judgment, it's going to be because you have been made complete by receiving God's love for you. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. Now, this is where it's going to get a little bit hard on you. Because the same love that you receive from God, God expects you to give to others. We love God because God first loved us. And God expects you to love others with the same kind of love. What does that mean? That means that God expects you to love others before they love you. God expects you to love others with the same kind of love that you receive from Him. A perfect love. A love that has been made complete. A love that flows from the throne of God through you to others. This love is a selfless love. A sacrificial love. A non-prideful, non-needing-your-gifts kind of love. It's non-conditional. It is just choosing to love someone. And God calls us to love people that don't love us back. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that God commended His love toward us, right? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. That means while you were yet in your sin, Jesus decided to love you and become a sacrificial lamb for you. While you were yet in all of your iniquities, while you were yet in all of your bondages, while you were yet low-down, dirty dogs, sinners, like we all were, should be were, Jesus decided to love you and lay down His life for you. And God calls you to love others with the same kind of love. Those people that look past you, those people that ignore you, those people that do you wrong, those people that don't care anything about you, those people that you don't want to help for nothing. Maybe they're Democrats. Maybe they're Republicans. However you look at people like 
you would be willing to love them even when they're wrong and desire that they become right. Amen? Amen. Did Christ love you before you got right or after? Come on. Did He love you before or after you got right? Before. Before you got right. He was willing to do whatever it costs, which was everything, and sacrifice whatever it cost, which was everything, for you and for me. Amen? And this same kind of love He's called us to operate in. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. You know what I call this verse right here? This verse number 20? I call this verse, light of fire under my feet verse. Because what has happened in the church is that we love to have church services. We love to have church services. But how many churches, other than you, right? How many churches love to take the love of God to the streets? Into the highways and the byways. Into the gutters. Where the downtrodden are. Where the hurting are. Amen? You see what it says? You can say, you can have great services and say that you love God, but if you're not willing to lay down your life, for another individual? It says you're a liar. It says you're a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Does that, does that not just kind of spark a little bit of a fire in you? You pass somebody on the street, you've seen them with your eyeballs. But if you don't love them and you're able to go to a church service and just have church, you're a liar. That's tough stuff. But how can we say that we love God whom we haven't seen when we don't love our neighbor whom our eyes have seen? When we see people who are downtrodden, who are hurting, when we see people who are overlooked and neglected. And you might say, well, they had a chance. Well, how many chances did you have? You might say, well, they, they have every kind of opportunity to get things right. Well, aren't you glad God didn't feel that way about you? Amen. Aren't you glad that God didn't write you off? Amen. Aren't you glad that God gave you one more chance? How can we pass our fellow man and not share this same love and compassion for them? And look, it's not about just buying them an ice cream cone. That's not love. Buying somebody an ice cream cone while they're going to hell is not love. Giving somebody a bottle of water while their soul is going to hell is not love. It's humanistic it's humanism. You can raise a million dollars and go give a million pieces of bread to every starving kid in Africa. But it's not love. 
love lays down its life for another that they won't go to hell. Love desires people to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Every ice cream cone, every bottle of water, every piece of bread should be used as a goal to lead people to Christ. If we give people pieces of bread, pieces of ice cream, pieces of water, without telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ and pleading with them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, it's not love. It's humanism. And I'll submit to you that the majority of the churches today are moved by humanism and not by God. Humanistic causes. It's not to say that we shouldn't take care of the poor because we should. But why we do what we do makes all the difference in the world. It is not what we do, it is why we do it. God does not bless actions, He blesses the causes in your heart. The why you do what you do. You get up and sing. God doesn't bless you for how good you do it. Blesses you for why you do it. Think about the, 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 the widow with the two mites. God didn't bless her because of all that she gave, but He, he blessed her because of all that she gave. Why she did it. She gave all that she had. It wasn't the amount, it was the cause, the heart, the reason, the why. And when you go out and you seek souls, because the, the harvest is ready, right? The fields are ripe. When you go out, the desire should be to bring people to Jesus. Not just bring them water. Bringing them water is good. Bringing them Jesus, better. Good, better. Good to bring water, it's better to bring Jesus. It would be far better if you didn't bring them water and brought them the gospel. Well, what if they, what if they, what if they uh, thirst to death? What if they got Jesus and they thirst to death? They got Jesus for eternity. No more tears, no more sorrow. No more pain, no more dying. And the glory of Jesus outshines the sun. You tell me how bad that is. But if you give them water, and you don't give them Jesus, what's going to happen when they die? What happens when they die with a belly full of water and descend into hell? Right? I want to know when the church is going to actually begin loving people. I want to know when the church is actually going to begin to be mission-minded, soul-minded, instead of program-minded. When we say that we love God, but we don't love others. How can we say this? The Bible says, how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen? 
and then drive by people who you have seen? What about people at work? What about people in our family? You know those ones that you don't really talk to? It's hard. What about them? Let's not be humanistic. Let's be realistic about the gospel. It's the only thing that can save someone's soul. And look, you may, you, you may not be used to the, 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 those kinds of, of terms and that kind of way of looking at things. That just shows you that you're too inundated by the world and not by the Word of God. Because with the Word of God, things are eternal. Things are either going to come to eternal life or eternal damnation. That's it. With the world, it's all about this life. It's all about now. It's all about making people feel comfortable. It's all about all of that. Much like someone who is... sick and dying... You can make them comfortable. You can pacify the pain. But at some point in time, they're going to meet their maker. And what's more important? Where their soul goes. As Jesus said through Paul, to be absent from the body is to be present with Him. Amen. That's if you're born again. Not everybody can say that. In fact, Jesus said only a few can say that. He said that the road is narrow. Few there be that find it. How many churches do you think have 100% people going to heaven? If the road is narrow and few there be that find it, what do you think the percentage of churches are? 90? 75? 50? A.W. Tozer said 30. Leonard Ravenhill said 10. One out of 10. That's what he said. In church, not in the world, in church. One out of 10 actually born again. I don't know about you, but whenever I heard that, I went down on my knees and I said, Lord, please change me, save me, make me right. If I'm not right, make me right, please. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be part of the 90%. What if that's true? What if there was 90% of the church that thought they were saved, thought they were born again, but they did not have the witness of the Holy Spirit in their soul? And yet we go to church with them, rub shoulders with them, sing songs with them, go to Sunday school with them, and then they go to hell. Because why? So we didn't take the time to give them Jesus. Too busy doing programs in churches. I'm fully convinced God's not interested in making churches big. He's interested in making churches strong. God's much more interested in making churches strong, getting our houses in order. How do I know this? Well, look at Jesus. Whenever you, whenever you think about things, just go back and look at the way Jesus operated. 
Whenever Jesus came in, um, you know, on Palm Sunday, the first thing he did when he came into the town is he went into the temple and he scattered everybody. He run them out of the temple. You can't really build a church if you're running people out the doors. But he's building a different kind of church than those men were building. He said, my father's house is supposed to be the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. But we need people, not those kind of people. We need people with a heart for God. Only people with a heart for God would call it a house of prayer. And so you always go back and you look and you see that Jesus, He scattered folks out because He was building something spiritual. He was making things strong, not big. Strong, not big. So God's more interested not in enlarging you, but making you right. He's more interested in firming up your foundation on Christ. Then enlarging your tent. Oh yes, God will enlarge in your tent, but He's first interested in strengthening your foundation first. You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith. It's time for Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. And now, here's Pastor Kenny Word. Jesus decided to love you and lay down His life for you. And God calls you to love others with the same kind of love. Those people that look past you, those people that ignore you, those people that do you wrong, those people that don't care anything about you, those people that you don't want to help for nothing. Maybe they're Democrats. Maybe they're Republicans. However you look at people like, you would be willing to love them even when they're wrong and desire that they become right. Amen? Amen. Did Christ love you before you got right or after? Come on. Did He love you before or after you got right? Before. Before you got right. He was willing to do whatever it costs, which was everything, and sacrifice whatever it cost, which was everything, for you, for me. Amen? In this same kind of love, He's called us to operate in. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. You know what I call this verse right here? This verse number 20? I call this verse, light a fire under my feet verse. Because... What has happened in the church is that we love to have church services 
We love to have church services, but how many churches, other than you, right? How many churches love to take the love of God to the streets? Into the highways and the byways. Into the gutters. Where the downtrodden are. Where the hurting are. Amen? You see what it says? You can say, you can have great services and say that you love God, but if you're not willing to lay down your life for another individual, it says you're a liar. It says you're a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Does that, does that not just kind of spark a little bit of a fire in you? You pass somebody on the street, you've seen them with your eyeballs. But if you don't love them, and you're able to go to a church service and just have church, you're a liar. That's tough stuff. But how can we say that we love God whom we haven't seen when we don't love our neighbor whom our eyes have seen? When we see people who are downtrodden, who are hurting, when we see people who are overlooked and neglected. And you might say, well, they had a chance. Well, how many chances did you have? You might say, well, they, they have every kind of opportunity to get things right. Well, aren't you glad God didn't feel that way about you? Amen. Aren't you glad that God didn't write you off? Amen. Aren't you glad that God gave you one more chance? God. And how can we pass our fellow man and not share this same love and compassion for them? And look, it's not about just buying them an ice cream cone. That's not love. Buying somebody an ice cream cone while they're going to hell is not love. Giving somebody a bottle of water while their soul is going to hell is not love. It's humanistic. It's humanism. You can raise a million dollars and go give a million pieces of bread to every starving kid in Africa, but it's not love. Love lays down its life for another. That they won't go to hell. Love desires people to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Every ice cream cone, every bottle of water, every piece of bread should be used as a goal to lead people to Christ. If we give people pieces of bread, pieces of ice cream, pieces of water, without telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ and pleading with them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, it's not love. It's humanism. And I'll submit to you that the majority of the churches today are moved by humanism and not by God. Humanistic causes. It's not to say that we shouldn't take care of the poor because we should. But why we do what we do makes all the difference in the world. It is not what we do, it is why we do it. Amen. 
God does not bless actions. He blesses the causes in your heart. The why you do what you do. You get up and sing. God doesn't bless you for how good you do it. Blesses you for why you do it. Think about the, 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 the widow with the two mites. God didn't bless her because of all that she gave, but He, he blessed her because all that she gave. Why she did it. She gave all that she had. It wasn't the amount, it was the cause, the heart, the reason, the why. And when you go out and you seek souls... Because the, the harvest is ready, right? The fields are ripe. When you go out, the desire should be to bring people to Jesus. Not just bring them water. Bringing them water is good. Bringing them Jesus, better. Good, better. Good to bring water, it's better to bring Jesus. It would be far better if you didn't bring them water and brought them the gospel. Well, what if they, what if they, what if they uh, thirst to death? What if they got Jesus and they thirst to death? They got Jesus for eternity. No more tears, no more sorrow. No more pain, no more dying. And the glory of Jesus outshines the sun. You tell me how bad that is. But if you give them water, and you don't give them Jesus, what's going to happen when they die? What happens when they die with a belly full of water and descend into hell? Right? I want to know when the church is going to actually begin loving people. I want to know when the church is actually going to begin to be mission-minded, soul-minded, instead of program-minded. When we say that we love God, but we don't love others, how can we say this? The Bible says, how can you say that you love God whom you have not seen? And then drive by people who you have seen. What about people at work? What about people in our family? You know those ones that you don't really talk to? It's hard. What about them? Let's not be humanistic. Let's be realistic about the gospel. It's the only thing that can save someone's soul. And look, you may, you, you may not be used to the, 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 those kinds of, of terms and that kind of way of looking at things. That just shows you that you're too inundated by the world and not by the Word of God. Because with the Word of God, things are eternal. Things are either going to come to eternal life or eternal damnation. That's it. With the world, it's all about this life. It's all about now. It's all about making people feel comfortable. It's all about all of that. Much like someone who is sick and dying, 
You can make them comfortable. You can pacify the pain. But at some point in time, they're going to meet their maker. And what's more important? Where their soul goes. As Jesus said through Paul, to be absent from the body is to be present with Him. Amen. That's if you're born again. Not everybody can say that. In fact, Jesus said only a few can say that. He said that the road is narrow. Few there be that find it. How many churches do you think have 100% people going to heaven? If the road is narrow and few there be that find it, what do you think the percentage of churches are? 90? 75? 50? A.W. Tozer said 30. Leonard Ravenhill said 10. One out of ten. That's what he said. In church, not in the world, in church. One out of ten actually born again. I don't know about you, but whenever I heard that, I went down on my knees and I said, Lord, please change me, save me, make me right. If I'm not right, make me right, please. Amen? Amen. I don't want to be part of the 90%. What if that's true? What if there was 90% of the church that thought they were saved, thought they were born again, but they did not have the witness of the Holy Spirit in their soul? And yet we go to church with them, rub shoulders with them, sing songs with them, go to Sunday school with them, and then they go to hell. Because why? So we didn't take the time to give them Jesus. Too busy doing programs in churches. I'm fully convinced God's not interested in making churches big. He's interested in making churches strong. God's much more interested in making churches strong, getting our houses in order. How do I know this? Well, look at Jesus. Whenever you, whenever you think about things, just go back and look at the way Jesus operated. Whenever Jesus came in, um, you know, on Palm Sunday, the first thing he did when he came into the town is he went into the temple and he scattered everybody. He run them out of the temple. You can't really build a church if you're running people out the doors. But he's building a different kind of church than those men were building. He said, my father's house is supposed to be the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. But we need people, not those kind of people. We need people with a heart for God. Only people with a heart for God would call it a house of prayer. And so you always go back and you look and you see that Jesus, he scattered folks out because he was building something spiritual. He was making things strong, not big. Strong, not big. So God's more interested not in enlarging you, but making you right. He's more interested in firming up your foundation on Christ than enlarging your tent. 
Oh, yes, God will enlarge in your tent, but He's first interested in strengthening your foundation. First, getting your legs under you, getting secure on the rock, hiding you in the cleft of the rock. Firm foundation. A firm foundation is Christ. And so we see here, if a man says that he loves God, but he hates his brother, he is, the Bible says, a liar. And we know what happens to liars. The Bible tells us in, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that liars shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, in Revelation, that's one of the big ones that missed the kingdom at the second resurrection, which is a bad one. This is where the liars go. Into the lake of fire. Same place with those that take the mark of the beast and worship Satan's incarnate prophet. And yet, and yet, the Lord's telling us right here, how can we truly say that we love God when we're not willing to love others? Well, they should have it together by now. I mean, how many, how many more times do we got to be patient with that person? When are they going to get it? They're not going to get it from me. I've given them enough time. Aren't you glad God didn't do you that way? Amen. Aren't you glad that God didn't say, when are you going to get it? That's enough. I'm tired of you. Aren't you glad that God didn't treat you like that? And yet we treat others. And yet we treat others like this. Right? Don't raise your hand on that one. That was rhetorical. If you raise your hand on that one, you've got to go to the altar. But we do. We treat others like that, right? We do. We don't actually love people the way that we should. And yet we claim to love God. Again, I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit did not empower the church so they could have great church services. You say, oh yeah, we're a Pentecostal church. We jump pews, we hang from chandeliers, we swing from one side to the other, we dance, we shout, we sing. That's not why the Holy Spirit came. Amen. You can have fun, it's great, it's a good pep rally. But guess what? The Holy Spirit came for one reason. So that when you walk out of those doors... You can be a bold witness for God. Amen. So if you're swinging from chandeliers, jumping pews, swinging from one side of the sanctuary to the other, what good does it do you if you don't share the gospel when you walk out the doors? Read Acts chapter 1 again. Why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? To tickle the back of your neck, to make you dance and shout, or to empower you to be a bold witness. Amen. Which one? A, B, or C? Clue. It's C. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 real quick, please. Romans chapter 8. Over here in Romans chapter 8, it's, um, 
This is actually one of the best chapters of the Bible, I believe. And uh, here in Romans chapter 8, uh, one thing that I want to point out to you in verse number 31. It says, what, then sh what shall we say then? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, every single one of us in here has battles from time to time. Every single one of us in here has to endure hardships from time to time. Every single one of us in here is, is tested, is tried. And when things come against us, it's awesome to know. Amen? That if God be for us, who can be against us? That is a rhetorical question from God. And it's basically saying that if you'll realize that God's on your side, you'll realize no man can stand before you. Amen. No man can stand before you. Who can resist you? If God be with you, don't compromise. Don't lie to cut corners. You might say, well, I've got to do this so that so-and-so will treat me good. Come on now. If God's for you, and He is, who's going to be against you? Who's going to be against you? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things. You understand the gist of this is that God gave you everything when He gave you Jesus. There is nothing, nothing that God won't give you because He already gave you everything. You might say, well, I still got to pay my bills tomorrow. Who do you think is helping you pay your bills tomorrow? Amen. You see, the, the, the problem is because in our carnal minds, we cannot understand how valuable Christ's blood is. You will never, no, never, Never comprehend the vast greatness of the cost of the blood of Jesus Christ. You will never know how much it cost Him to become humiliated. A man. Infinite God. Eternally the Son of God. Never having a beginning. Let your mind think on that. Never began. Before time began, He was. He is. And He always will be. And He is holiness. And you'll never understand that either. It's not that He, he does things that are holy. He is what holiness is. Because He's holy, you know what holiness is. He's so pure. 
so honorable, so clean, so majestic. He is holy, holy, holy. You don't and I don't understand that. Infinitely holy, pure, spotless. And yet he allowed himself to become humiliated. Allowed himself to suffer. The world that he created, he came to. And the world knew him not. And the people that were his people rejected him. He was despised and rejected, afflicted, smitten of God. God spared not his own son because you and I, our sin was so vast and so great. He spared not his son because that's the only way for you to come back into God's good graces. And I say, well, all I did was steal a piece of bubble gum. Well, I might forgive you for stealing bubble gum from me because I'm no better than you. But God just can't forgive you of your bubble gum. Amen. God is holy. God is holy. And so there had to become an atonement, which is Jesus. You can't atone for your sins. God had to provide the atonement. You were helpless. Helpless, in a helpless state. And so God provided the atonement. God spared not His own Son because He loved you and me. And if He spared not His own Son, how will He not freely give us all things? If He gave you the ultimate, we will never, ever, ever understand how much it cost Christ to become humiliated and lay down His life. Plucked out His beard. Spit on Him who is holy. Placed on His head a crown of thorns. The one who's never been made. He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not freely with Him also freely give us all things? Now watch this. A couple more verses. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Did you know that Jesus loves you? Who shall separate you from that love? Shall tribulation? You know what tribulation is? How many of you had a hard life? Shall that separate you from Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine 
or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Isn't it ironic that Jesus was led as a lamb to the slaughter? And we, the sheep of His pasture, we, His people, in the same way daily. And God's love is... Look at Jesus. You gotta love somebody? Na 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 na, you're a sinner. No. He will. But did he call out again? What about the woman of the well in Samaria? With multiple men, multiple husbands, right? Not condoning sin, calling out. Amen? I just don't know what God wants me to do to be a witness, share the gospel. I just don't know what my gift is. We, you know, we had a, uh, we had a, um, I'm going to, a thing for, and everybody, you know, back then, everybody wanted to know, what's my spiritual gift? What's my spiritual gift? What am I called at doing? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to do? And I'll never forget, this old preacher said, I know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to share the gospel. And if you'll get out and do what you're supposed to do, the gift will rise to the surface. You'll notice God empowering you, giving you grace in a certain area. But if you never go out and share the gospel, if you never go out and share the love of God with others, the gift's not going to rise to the surface. Why would He do it? Amen? It's like, you know, you might be called to be a preacher, but if you never share the gospel, why would God let that thing rise up? You might be called to do this, that, or the other, but why would God do that if you're not willing to do the first thing, the most important thing? Amen? You're calling. What is the will of God for my life? Be a bold witness for Jesus. What am I supposed to do? With my, I just don't know what to do with myself. I can tell you. Go love a lost world. Go see if you can win some folks from hell. Go see if you can do like Jesus said. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The gates. Meaning you're reaching your hand in there, as Jude said, and snatching folks out of the fire. See if you can go do that. And when you're doing that, rest assured, the gift will rise. The call will rise. Knowing God's will for your life will rise. It's not going to rise before that, though. Because that's what it's for. That's what it's for. Amen? You have been listening to Defending the Faith with Pastor Kenny Word of Gospel Lighthouse Church in Bossier City. Defending the Faith uses foundational principles, fundamental teachings, and faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to influence the world and strengthen believers in their daily walk. Gospel Lighthouse Church is located at 4350 Panther Drive in Bossier City. Go to churchlighthouse.com for more information. And please tune in again next time for Defending the Faith.